This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marquezian for Jeff. He'll be back tomorrow. What a night. And our next guest was up until the wee hours, I'm sure. Well, wee hours Eastern time. I know that because he, uh, he, he texted me late. But he was up early this morning. Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports joining Matt Marchese here. Craig, uh, did you get at least a little bit of sleep last night? <laughs> Probably about two and a half hours total, but oh. that, that's all right. It's the job sometimes. I, I get it. Well, and your job being in the market that you are in is is obviously has a little bit more to it than in other places. Um, first question, I asked Elliot this, and and he, he says he doesn't trust polls anymore, but um, how surprised were you by the results of that vote? Because I went to bed seemingly thinking this was a slam dunk. Like, I did not think that this was going to be the final the final nail in the coffin for the Coyotes, seemingly. Well, everything that I was hearing from the internal polling that had been done showed them with as much as a 10-point lead. They thought they were going to get 56 57% support for this. But later in the day, I checked in with a... A guy who's a, a bit of a local election analyst here uh, understands polling very well. His name's Garrett Archer. And he told me when it comes to municipal polling, like in a, a city the size of Tempe, it is very tricky and very difficult to get a good read on what the electorate is thinking. And that certainly played out when the results popped up on the board at the Tempe wins what was supposed to be a party for, for the election because they thought they were going to get 56, 57 percent support instead that's what the opposition got. So it was completely flipped on their expectations. Yeah, it was uh, it was mind blowing to me because I I was kind of following it along. Not obviously not as closely as you, but I was convinced that this one was going to be a you know not a slam dunk, but pretty close to it. So I guess the the next question is what went wrong here for the Coyotes? Like, is there is there a chance that maybe there's a lack of trust in this ownership group, or did the people of Tempe re- just really not want any part of this and were more than happy to keep uh, a landfill in place of an arena? Well, I think all of that is is the subject of further analysis now. Um, certainly, you can can look at Tempe voters simply rejecting it. And if you looked at the demographics, it was it was largely older voters that turned out in this election. That's that's nothing new, but they rejected it uh, for whatever reason. I haven't obviously polled all of the voters to find out their various reasons, but th- there are a lot of things at play here. Um, there are questions about how the Coyotes ran their campaign. They started. They launched late, and this was to the consternation of the Tempe City Council, which was wondering in February when they were going to get going while the opposition had been up and running for two months already. So there was that concern. They, it looks like they got outspent on this campaign, which is mind-boggling when you consider the stakes at play here. Uh, and then there was, quite frankly, there was a lot of misinformation cast by the opposition campaign. I know that's politics today, but it was it was deeply disturbing to watch. You know, it was basically undermining democracy by spreading misinformation, and it worked. They won the campaign. They they won the vote in a landslide. This wasn't even close. Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Okay, so now is there a plan B? I know that I know Xavier Gutierrez spoke afterwards and didn't take any questions, and so maybe maybe we're kind of in the dark a little bit. But I know you outlined in your column just. That you know there there could be maybe something with with downtown now that Robert Sarver's not with the Suns anymore. Mesa was potentially another option. Like which of the potential options are the most viable, 
And how quickly can they put together a plan? Because it's not as if they just put together this plan for Tempe in a week. Like this takes time. Uh, where Where is plan B at? Or do you even think there's a plan B right now? Because everyone seems so shocked at the results from last night. Yeah, and when I spoke to Javier Gutierrez uh, early in the process, he admitted to me that, look, it would be insane for us not to have a plan B. But I just don't know that they've gotten very far down that road because all of their focus was on this Tempe deal and all of their messaging was about this Tempe deal as it should have been because you don't certainly don't want a future potential partner thinking that, you, you know, you're also looking other places and, and making contingency plans even though you have to. Um, of the uh, – of the sites that I outlined, every one of them has a problem. If they go back to what is now Footprint Center, what used to be America West Arena, their home when they arrived from Winnipeg, they'll have the same issues that they had originally. It's not built for hockey. You have obstructed views on the entire north end, and they'd be a tenant in somebody else's building, so you're losing all those ancillary revenue streams that force them to leave in the first place. I, I have a hard time believing that the city of Phoenix would approve a second arena downtown that would compete with footprint and take, take away entertainment dollars, et cetera, from the sun. So it's really hard to envision anything unless new sun's owner, Matt Ishbia wants to buy the coyotes. And again, I can't imagine that happening either. He just completed the sale of the sun. So then you start looking around the Valley. There's an old mall in Mesa Fiesta mall that really needs renovation. But if you go to that site, you're a little farther away so it creates location issues, again, not quite as extreme as Glendale, but certainly some location issues. And you probably have another public vote involved. Um, if you go to the, the tribal lands, you have issues with gaming because you, you can't walk onto uh, reservation land and claim all of the gaming rights from a casino. And you also have land ownership issues to deal with. So there, there are problems with every one of these sites. Now, in terms of a timeline, I guess theoretically, you know, they're planning to play three more seasons at Mullet anyway. I guess you could get something done on one of those sites. But as you mentioned, there was so much planning that went into this Tempe site. Unless you can, like, transfer this deal over, I don't know how you get it done that quickly. And I can't imagine the NHL having the patience to say, sure, play five seasons at 4,600-seat Mullet Arena. I do want to get to, to that in a, in a moment here because um, there's, there's a lot of tentacles to this. But I did want to talk about Alex Morello for a second. The owner of the Coyotes... Uh, this isn't. This obviously didn't go in his favor, much to what everyone was expecting. But what do you think the next steps for him here are? And do you do you think with the team not likely staying in Arizona long term, do you think he'd be open to relocating, or do you think he might just try and cut his losses and sell the franchise and let somebody else move it? I honestly don't think the league will allow him to own this franchise in another city. So I, I would just take that off the board immediately. And I also have to wonder about the league's appetite for, for keeping Alex Morello, even if they were to remain in this market. Look, you've got, you've got a lot of bad history here. Obviously, the athletic article made all sorts of waves. You have a history of not paying contracts and uh, various debts, whether it's taxes or, or your debt to the city of Glendale on the arena. Um, and, and now this. Now, now you've, you know, in the eyes of many people, mismanaged this campaign very badly. So I'm not sure how much confidence the league would have in the Alex Morello ownership at this point. Okay. So then now we get to the NHL and, and I like that you mentioned that he, the NHL may not want that. I, I wonder what I, it feels like the plan to stay at mullet arena was fine until this deal fell through. Now they're looking at it going, okay, well this is not sustainable. We were okay with it. If you could get an arena deal done now, that's not happening anytime soon. 
How quickly do you think the NHL will move on this? Because I, I talked to Elliot Friedman before, and we talked about, you know, when Atlanta left, the, the ownership group left the keys on the table, the announcement to, to yeah. moving to Winnipeg was the end of May into June, I think. And it was right before game one of the Stanley Cup finals. This is a really quick turnaround. And obviously they have to go to a city that is ready for an NHL franchise with an arena in place. And Quebec City, I, I made the joke half passingly only because I know they want to keep it east west. But how quickly do you think the NHL jumps in on this and, and has to make a decision? Or do you think it's more likely that we see them one more year at Mullet Arena until they can get a really solid plan in place? Well, the latter is what I've had multiple people suggest to me, that they'll play one more season at Mullet and try and figure out what's coming. It could, could very well be a lame duck season like the Winnipeg Jets, the, the predecessor of the Arizona Coyotes, played before they came out here. Um, I, it's really difficult. But as you mentioned, there is precedent. You can certainly do it if you have everything in place. And I'm sure that the league, just like the Coyotes with contingency plans, has, has looked at it and, and tried to figure out what a quick solution might be. Um, again, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, we didn't get any insight from Javier Gutierrez and even less from Gary Bettman last night in a statement that really didn't say much of anything at all and notably did not did not extend a, a future commitment to hockey in Arizona like many past statements when the Coyotes have been in crisis. So I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see how this plays out over the next few weeks. Is it possible that they can move quickly? Of course, they've done it before. But like I said, uh, I've heard from a few people that they think They'll probably play at Mullet Arena for one more season, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports is Matt Marchese's guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Okay, so here's the other thing that, you know, people, they will eventually figure out is that, and they still haven't to this day, which I don't understand, but Gary Bettman works for the other owners. And I can't imagine that the owners are very happy with this result, especially because they've already played mm-hmm. one season out of Mullet Arena. And I and I, I would almost guarantee that the owners that are writing the revenue sharing checks aren't thrilled about this and having to help keep this franchise afloat. How much do you think their influence on this and even the NHLPAs for that matter plays a role in how quickly a new plan will be in place to maybe relocate or to find a new owner? I think those both have to be looked at. I, I can't imagine Gary Bevin not, you know, I can't imagine his phone being quiet today. I'll put it that way. Yeah, everybody knows that the Board of Governors is not happy with this for revenue reasons. The PA was not happy with it for a variety of reasons. Aside from money, the facilities that their players are playing in, they, they haven't been happy. So he's going to be getting a lot of pressure from influential people. I like Look, if, if the Coyotes can't figure out a solution here, that's along the same timeline that they were along before. Like if they can't play three more seasons as a mullet and then have a solution, I just, I don't see a path forward in Arizona. I don't see how they do it. So even, okay, this is maybe um, a little bit of an off the wall question, but even if they somehow they figure this out and they say, okay, there's maybe another chance that we can do something in a different part of Arizona. Fine. Does that happen with Alex Morello? as the owner or is the only way that they get any sort of leniency is if some owner comes in and says, I will buy the team. I will do whatever it takes to get uh, an arena here and surrounding hotels and gaming and all that other stuff that goes with it. It's a really good question. I don't have a definitive answer, but you know, as I mentioned earlier with, with Alex Morello's track record here in Arizona, it, it doesn't inspire confidence from a league perspective or from a BOG perspective, right? So maybe if you could get someone else to come in or if you had a situation like you, 
perhaps you could work out something where the tribe was ready to move on something very quickly. Maybe you could solve it, but I don't know. I, 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 well, again, I don't, I don't know what the league is thinking at this point. They haven't provided any insights, but it, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that they have confidence in the Morello ownership group right now. Okay, so when we look at the history of this franchise, it feels like maybe not almost from the get-go, but pretty close to it. Like you mentioned the issues with moving into the Suns arena because of, you know, the the restrictions with the seating and it's not a hockey arena first and it's hard with, with you know, the, the viewing capacities in some places. But there's also been other issues with ownership. There's been the Goldwater Institute. There's been – this has been a franchise that has been marred with issues – basically since their inception coming to Arizona or Phoenix at that time, um, coming to the, the city and the state from the time that they left Winnipeg, what is the legacy here of the Arizona Coyotes if in fact they are gone? And and what is how is the fan base's reaction? Because I don't pretend to know how many fans there are of the Coyotes, but I do feel for those fans. I feel for the people that are involved in the organization on a day-to-day basis. Like, what is the... What's the legacy of the Coyotes here? Well, the legacy, if they leave, is of, of a failed franchise that never could get solid footing in this market. But I, I think, and as I wrote in the story a few days ago, I think this all traces back to their decision when they were leaving America West Arena and Richard Burke still owned the team and wanted to build in South Scottsdale at the site of the old Los Sacros Mall. They had a deal in place. They had a really good deal in place. It was still a negotiation. There were issues, but it was not dead. But Steve Ellman, who you know was part owner in the team, wanted to move the team west because he got a sweetheart deal from Glendale. Glendale stepped up and said, we'll give you $180 million toward a $230 million arena. And, oh, by the way, you get to develop a, a mall around it so you can make all sorts of money. The West Valley at that point looked like the big boom area in population-wise in the city. Everyone thought the growth was headed out that way before the recession hit in 2007. So Richard Burke says it's not going to work out west. The economics don't work. You need to buy me out. Steve Ellman does so. He moves them to West. And as Burke said in that story that I wrote just a few days ago, everything that followed was a product of that decision. All the, all the ownership instability, because you couldn't find someone to come in and absorb those losses on an annual basis. All of the losing that they did because they literally couldn't spend both in infrastructure and on the ice to make the team better. He believes all of that followed from the decision to go West to Glendale. So in your opinion, and, and you've covered this story for years, in your opinion, when looking at what the fan base is, do you still believe that in the state of Arizona that it is a hockey market? Or was it just not going to work the way it was just an ownership thing and the hockey market that is there that exists is one that could thrive with proper ownership? Yeah, it filters down, right? That's, that's, the, that's the key ingredient. You obviously have to have an arena and you have to have stable ownership. If you have those two things and the arena's in the right location, yeah, I think this can succeed. This, this market, when they were downtown, when they arrived for those first few years, they drew really well. That place was nuts. It was great watching games at America West Arena. So I do think that the hockey base is here. And if you look at what's happened with the, the youth hockey movement here and how this, this really, this entire valley has grown up as a hockey market, there's a Division I college program here now at Arizona State. You look at USA Hockey numbers every year, and, and Arizona is always top five in growth of youth hockey. Yes, this is absolutely a hockey market, but you need the right circumstances to make it thrive. You need stable ownership. You need an arena in the right location. And then, of course, you have to win. 
Well, Craig, it, it's a story that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon and uh, greatly appreciate you taking some time after getting no sleep last night. So uh, always great having you on and, and hopefully the next time we have better news when we have you on. No problem, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Always great talking to you. There he goes. Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports and just, just saw this on my timeline here. Um, Andy Strickland, who is uh, fairly regular on this program, tweets out, hearing Salt Lake appears to be the focus for Arizona Coyotes internally among hockey ops, obviously still in early stages. I can't say that I ever would have thought that I would have talked about Salt Lake City as an NHL city. Maybe the impact of the Olympics? I have no idea. Figured Houston would have probably been in that conversation more. Elliot mentioned maybe Portland in Kansas, Kansas City, Sacramento, another team in California. Boy, the Houston thing is always coming up. Kansas City's been Kansas City's been coming up as a team since they left. Those old scouts. What a name. The Kansas City Scouts. Be very curious to see what happens here. We await more information from the NHL, from the Coyotes ownership group. Like I said in the open, just really feel for the fan base, really feel for the people that have to go through this again. And now it feels real. Now it feels like this is the end of the Coyotes in Arizona. And as Craig Morgan just pointed out, I mean, it's not really a path to success here in keeping the franchise there. As, as much as, as painful as it is to say that, I, I don't think that, that this is going to end positively for the Coyotes in Arizona. I think we're done with that. Uh, we've got the Edmonton Oilers end of season press conference coming up. You'll hear from Jay Woodcroft. You'll hear from Ken Holland. And I think in that order. When we come back, you'll hear it. Edmonton Oilers end of season avail. And then following that, hopefully they don't go too late. And we'll get to Art O'Cal from ESPN. Edmonton Oilers postseason presser. When we come back, Matt Marchesian for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And we're back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchesian for Jeff. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we are awaiting Jay Woodcroft, Edmonton Oilers head coach, as he's set to speak at the Oilers postseason media availability. He will be followed, I believe followed, and they're not speaking at the same time, by Ken Holland, uh, Oilers GM. Be interested to see what he has to say there. But before we get there, uh, just a little bit of news. Tom Fitzgerald is currently speaking at the Devils end of season avail. And uh, talking about Jesper Bratt, restricted free agent, says there's this from uh, Mike Morielli, definitely progression and a framework of a deal. I don't anticipate contentious negotiations. Which leads me to my next question is, what's going to give? Who's going to be gone? I told Jeff that I thought maybe it was going to be Dawson Mercer, and he laughed me out of this room. This exact room that I'm in right now, Jeff tried to laugh me out of. As, as Lance says, not the first time. And it certainly won't be the last. I have, I have plenty of bad ideas. I've, I, can, I can use them all day. 
But that's going to be a really interesting offseason in New Jersey because they do have, they, they're going to have to deal with the Jesper Bratt contract. And then it's going to be, is it Yegor Sharon Govich that goes? What happens with Timo Meyer? Does he get a long-term deal? Did he hurt his value with his playoff performance? I mean, he was hurt for a bit. But did he hurt his his value? Potentially. He does still have that $10 million qualifying offer that is looming. That's a lot of money. Good player, a lot of money. So we'll see what happens there in, um, in New Jersey. And we also expect, and I don't know if he said this, but we would also expect that Lindy Ruff is back next year. Especially, you know, he's come a long way. And there, and there it is. And here we go, Ken Holland to the podium. 12th, 11th, 11th, and 6th with five playoff series. Are you, are you happy with the, the course and direction that you're going, or where are you at right now coming off the heels of the series loss against Vegas? Oh, where am I? Um, I've got an empty feeling. I think anytime you feel that your team um, can go on a, a long playoff run and you don't go as long as you, um, you know, you don't go to the end, you're disappointed. Um, so it's an empty feeling, but I also know as a manager, you get it to have an empty feeling for like 36 hours and then you got to get back at it. We're doing, you know, I've been doing exit interviews. Um, I, I, I feel, I don't know if goods are, you, you know, we're, we had a good regular season. Uh, we had, we had high hopes, high expectations and, uh, we had a disappointing finish. We didn't. Uh, we didn't. We didn't get the job done. Obviously, we got beat by a better team, a team that finished ahead of us in the standings by two points, um, and they beat us head to head in a two-week two-week tournament. So, uh, not good enough. Um, the goals obviously is to win the Stanley Cup, and um, when you don't win the Stanley Cup, it's a disappointing year. Ken, still here. Um, you look at that roster you put together, and it was an exceptional roster, and it was a Stanley Cup contender, but you, in, in hindsight, you look at that, and you think, I should have tweaked this, I should have tweaked this, or were you happy with what you presented in, in, in the playoffs? Um, you know, I think, you know, I guess I got 30 years to reflect on, because we, we, did, we did all this in, in Detroit, Two times over, really, um, with with, and you know, so you know, one year, one year, you don't go as far as you. It's not like you 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 change the whole team. You know, the the team that won the Stanley Cup in Detroit in 08 was very similar to the team that lost in the first round to Edmonton in 06. It's it's being in those situations over and over. I think I've said this. Um, the year at the press conference, when I you got to be in there year after year after year and after year after year after year, and you know I like to think in Detroit we were a cup legitimate cup contender 15, 16 years we won four like you don't win 12 or four, you know like it's hard to win one so you've got to be in there year after year after year after year and I think that you know last year we got in we. Lost in the final four to a team that anytime you lose to somebody, in my opinion, they're better than you are. You've had a chance to beat them and you don't beat them. It's, so Colorado was better than we were. Um, and they went on and won the Stanley Cup. Vegas was better than we were. Um, and part of this is going to be, you know, over the next um, six to eight weeks, 
you know, tweak, tweak, tweak around with the team. I think the, the, the key pieces uh, for the most part, I think they're here, or they're they're, they're going to, you know, and they, we've got to we've got to we've got to grow some younger people, um, and we've got to try to put ourselves go through all this process, same position a year from now, and try again, and and, and keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Uh, Ken, you uh, talked about you can only really feel bad for about 36 hours, and you got to get to the work next season. Um, you talked about tweaking the roster uh, going forward, but how, how much is you know the cap going to be an issue? How much like math are you already doing in your head when it comes to the cap? Um, everybody's dealing with the cap, so we're not dealing with anything that um, anybody else is. Um, is the is the cap? Uh, is a challenge, yeah, but that's sort of what that's 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 my job um, is to try to build the best team you can within the cap system. Um, I think it's been great for the National Hockey League because um, there's there's you know there was a time when when I when maybe there was only six, seven, eight, nine teams that could win the Stanley Cup. Now there's there's Anybody that makes the playoffs can win the Stanley Cup, so it's 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 added to the com the competitive balance. So it's 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 created a level, but that's that's the good and the bad. And so at the end of the day, do we have to make some some decisions? Yep, but we're not the only team that has to make those decisions. Ken, I just wanted to ask about your, yourself personally, and um, you know you're in, entering the last year of your contract. What what's the future hold for you? Would you like to continue? To be the general manager, and you can seek an extension. Well, I've got a year to go on my contract. Um, for me, uh, it's unfinished business. Um, I, I I plan to honor my contract. Um, beyond that, you know, at, at this stage of my life, I, I don't invest in green bananas. Just not sure if I'm going to be around long enough to see them ripen to be yellow. Um, so, but but certainly I've got you know I, I cracked the joke, but you know I I I I feel you know you be the guy that you know since year one that I was here, you would say you know when are you going to trade a first round pick? When are you going to trade a first round pick? When are you going to trade a first round pick? And uh, I trade a first round pick when I believe that it's that it's we're there. We're there, and obviously, I traded two first-round picks at the deadline to bring in Ekholm. Um, I believe the time is now. I believe we have a really good team. I believe there's lots of really good teams around the National Hockey League. We're not the only good team around the National Hockey League, but I believe that over, as Bob just said, you know, we've gone 12th, 11th, 11th, 6th. Um, you you want to be good in the playoffs? You got to be good in the regular season. You just you, you you can't be in one year, miss one year, be in one year, miss one year, get in and be the eighth seed and think you're going to win the Stanley Cup. You got to be you got to you got to you want to win in the playoffs. You got to win in the regular season. Um, and I think we're 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 building that. Some young people are starting to, you know, look at Stu Skinner being a 24-year-old goaltender. Um, just actually just met with McLeod, a 23-year-old center iceman. We've got some young people that are. Um, these are great experiences for them to to hopefully be ready next year to um, go all the way.
I don't like bananas, so I, I appreciate that reference. <laughs> um, Evan Bouchard, he had a really great, you know, last quarter or whatever the season, and then the playoffs, he went to another level. He needs a new contract. Thinking bridge for him, or would you like to try, ideally, to get him signed even longer? Well, a contract's got to work. Obviously, i got to talk to his agent. Um, I, I think, obviously, that question over there, um, we, he's getting a raise. There's no doubt he's getting a raise. Um, there's Stu Skinner's already got a raise. He's gone from 750 to 2.6. So these are all factors in as as to the, to my decisions. So I don't know if it's a bridge or not. I got to talk to his agent. I've got my thoughts. I don't want to negotiate in the uh, in the in the paper. Um, takes two to tangle, and um, we'll find a solution. Ken, just just to clarify on Daniel's first question, uh, do you intend on being back in both roles, like the general manager? Do you want to sort of your hands on the wheel as the GM next season? For the 23-24 season? Yeah. I do. So if you're uncertain about, you know, what happens after that, not many organizations go into a year uncertain of who their GM might be the following year. So is there a process that's undertaken to kind of figure out what the next stage will be, who that next general manager might be, and is that is that an important process this year? Or are you part of that? Uh, I'll tell you honest truth, I haven't really thought about it. Um, you know, I guess, you know, Ryan, when I came here, you know, I signed a five-year contract. Um, my belief in my own abilities and my, my experiences was to try to come um, and make a difference in a positive way. Um, some people might decide it's been a negative way, <laughs> but um, I wake up every day and look in the mirror like everybody else and, you know, I kind of judge myself and I'm as hard on myself as anybody. Um, you know, I've gone through four years. I've got a year to go. Um, I've got nine grandchildren, um, four children. Um, I've still got a lot of, ton of energy, ton of passion. Um, the last time that I was the general manager of a Stanley Cup championship team was 2008. That's a player's lifetime. I think that's going to be 16 years ago. Um, I would love to um, do that one more time. I think we've got a group of players and a team that it can happen, um, but it doesn't just happen. Um, and, you know, so beyond that, I haven't really, haven't really kind of thought. Certainly, they're telling me, I don't really, I'm not on social media, so I got people here telling me, oh, is this going on and that going on, and there's this speculation and that speculation. I'm not sure where all the speculation comes from. Um, I'm enjoying the job. I'm enjoying the challenge. Um, massively, massively, massively disappointed that we didn't go farther. Um, but I also have a total respect for Vegas. They beat us. They, they, they had more points than we did over 82 games. We got our opportunity to play them head-to-head -head over a two-week tournament, and they won four and we won two. I've been around the National Hockey League a long time. I know how hard it is to win, and they won, and we didn't. Um, but I also know that we've got, in my opinion, a, a hell of a hockey team. Um, 
most of those players in that locker room are in the prime of their career. Um, so it's not like we're going away, you know, and, and the team is an old team. I've, I've managed some old teams in, 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 in Detroit. Um, the core is at the prime of their career. Um, I, I, I feel good that, that some of the younger players have started to kind of pitch in in a bigger way than they maybe did two years ago. But I think that's evolution, that's growth, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. So for me personally, um, I think I've, hopefully that's answered. I'm, I'm enjoying the challenge. Uh, I got a year to go. I've got unfinished business. Um, and I know that the next um, eight weeks are every year are key weeks. You know, these are I'm, I'm, we're making decisions now that are that are that are building the team for September and 23. And we had talked about Bouchard and McLeod's a restricted free agent and Costin's a restricted free agent. And I've got uh, I've got um, built-in raise there with Stu Skinner. And certainly the cap's going from 82.5 to 83.5. I know I've got a little bit of money coming off there. Lucic is now coming off that 750. I know they got the 1.5 from Sekera that was on the buyout so there's one you know the cap's going up one there's one five on Sekra there's 750 on uh, on Lucic so there's what three and a quarter so you're pecking away but I, I do know that there's some real difficult decisions that have to be made but um, we're not the only team I'm not the only organization that's got to make uh, uh, difficult cap decisions most or many of the elite teams, uh, not elite teams, the teams that are, you know, we were sixth overall, M many of these teams, not everybody, but lots of teams are in the same boat that I, that, that we're in. Um, and I'm going to go through the process, you know, this, this week it's exit interviews with all the players, uh, spent all yesterday morning for about four or five hours with the, with the coaches. I'll meet with Jay again, you know, the pro, the pro scouts, uh, you know, and be ready to get into the, go into the draft week. And, um, you know, last year obviously went to the draft, made a made a decision to trade Zach Cassian and freed up some cap space. And then you go through July first, and it's the same. It's about the twenty seventh time I've twenty eighth time I've had to do this. So uh, I kind of know the process, and I, I know I know the challenges. I know the way the way it works, um, and we'll we're going to make all those decisions and be ready to roll in September. Uh, Ken, after listening to all that, uh, how do you see the the role of Steve Steos evolving within the organization? Um, I think Steve could, you know, this when he we came on board this year, um, he did player development, and because we didn't really have anybody there, and he, and he kind of um, also we we didn't have a, an Ontario scout, so certainly we would like to hire an Ontario scout. I think that that Steve should do more of the things that an assistant general manager does. Um, what is an assistant general? You know, there's different assistant general managers, different roles. Um, Keith Gretzky's assistant general manager, um, really responsible for Bakersfield. He's there every day, and I want, I think it's important that that, that team wins, that, that our young players get an opportunity, but they're also not entitled. Um, and he's there on an everyday basis working with the coach. Um, Bill Scott's an assistant general manager, um, does all the, he works with me on all the, you know, the, the capology and, 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 and the contracts and, and, and the business of, of, of hockey. And then I've got, you know, 
my son Brad runs the pro scouting and, and, and does all that information. So the one other thing that an assistant general manager can do, they go to games. They go to, they go to games and, um, you know, I'm going to bring up a couple of names. I don't know if I, you know, because I come from Detroit. Pat Verbeek, what Pat Verbeek did for Steve Eiserman when, when, when he worked for Steve. And now I saw Sean Horkov, who I, I hired Hork to be the uh, director of player development for um, Detroit when I was, was there. And now Hork's an assistant manager. Assistant managers go to games. They go to pro games. They go to NHL games. They go to American League games. And he's the right-hand man in, in the decision-making process or in one of the right-hand men when you time to make a trade, time to... Uh, make decisions on free agency. Time to just to, to that's what Jim Neal did for me in, in 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 Detroit. He now Jim Neal was more running the the amateurs, but he was he was he was my right he was my right hand man. But I had other people that were were there. So I think for Steve Steos has obviously been um, a player in the league. He's been a director of player development with Toronto. He's been an assistant coach. He's been behind the bench with Toronto. He took over Hamilton, uh, built them into one of the best junior programs um, in the country. And obviously, being a former Oiler, wanted to come join the Oilers um, and, you know, pitch in and help us have success. But at the same time, um, I think would like to grow as a young executive. And I think that... Uh, uh, he won't do the same things that he did last year. He'll do more things that I would deem an assistant manager would do. Like I said, like I bring up Sean Horkov and you know Pat Verbeek, who's the who I hired in 2008 to be a a pro scout for the um, Red Wings and left with Steve in 2010 to go to Tampa. So I th I think he could do that, which would help um, me, but it would also help him um, and his career. So Ken, there's a there's a lot of superstar players on the sidelines uh, this year. They've been survived by teams that kind of throw four lines at you. Is is that the new model? And, and how does Edmonton get there when the, the top end of their roster is uh, so heavy? Well, I guess I would respond. I I, I think there's probably four line teams that are out. Um, you know, I, I I'd like to think we were a four line. I think we had, what, 11 forwards get 10 goals or more this year. Um, and then we added Bukestad, so we really had 12 forwards that had 10 goals or more. Um, I think that... I mean, you guys watch our team. I mean, you know how good Connor and Leon are. So I think when when you, you get down to... When you get... when you, They're going to play more. I mean, they're, they're, they're great, great players. So... But I... I do think over 82 games we were a four-line team for the most part, I think. For sure we were a three-line team. I think that our depth um, up front um, contributed to us being tied for sixth overall and scoring the most goals in the National Hockey League. Now, you know, Connor had 160 points. I'm not blind to that, so I, I think... You know these games. These games at this time of the year are are decided by 
you know, it's, it's, it's why Detroit couldn't win the Cup in 94, 95, and 96, and those same group of players won the Cup in 97 and 98. It's, it's why the group of players I put together in 06 in, in, in Detroit, and, and we lost Edmonton in the first round, and lost in, they, they won the Cup in 08. I mean, it, I, didn't ma- I didn't build a new team. So I believe that this team that we've got in there is... A, is but there's other teams that are like us that are out that next year... Vegas missed the playoffs last year. They're, they're, they're in the final four. That's the, that's, that's the league. That's, that's the league, and you've got to stick with it. And the differences in these games are moments. And... I don't know. It's, 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 it, you're not beating teams six to one anymore. Like, and I think there was one series here that was a, some of those games. But for the most part, you know, Dallas the other night was one nothing in the third period, and then it was two nothing late, and then it's two to one, and it's you know we lose four three in game five, and it's three goals in was it a minute forty nine or something? I mean, I you know, other than that, the other. 58 games it's kind of but that's you got that's why you stick with it that's why if if I thought we were a million miles away I'd be in here talking to you about a rebuild we're not a million miles away we're we're right there we we this we have a really good hockey team there's other really good hockey teams on the sidelines Vegas was a really good team last year that covered got had bad things going on with injuries and they got their team together and they have a real hockey team they won they won they won the West. They had the most points in the West. They're in the final four. They're they're in the final two. So we got to stick with it. There there is no magic wand. We we speak every year about the urgency of trying to get this thing done in in Connor's window. And now we're it, it's things are getting closer. Leon has two years left on his deal. Connor has three. How important are the next two years in ensuring that this this thing extends beyond two three years? Well, very important. So I traded two firsts at the deadline for Ekholm. I uh, traded a second last year for, for Kulak. Traded lots and lots of picks. Um, signed Evander Kane to a four-year deal. I, I think these are players that have impacted. Like, I don't want you to know, we're, I'm trying. We're trying. Other teams are trying. Like, That's why it's the Stanley Cup. It's hard. It's hard. Hard. We're there. We're, we're, we're banging away. We're pushing. We're pushing. Our guys came out here. They're... It's... They're devastated. They're devastated. I'm devastated. The fan base is devastated. Why are we devastated? Because we went 14-0-1-1 heading into the playoffs. Did we have the second best record in the National Hockey League behind Boston since the first of January? Boston's devastated. Like teams that are out there, devastated. Like we're 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 devastated. Like we, these guys, these guys, these guys are. I got guys in there telling me they're going to the gym next week. Like they're 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 not going on vacation and like they're going to work. Like they're and these other teams are going to work. That's what these. And NHL players do. They, they take a week after the season, they get back in the gym and they go to and teams that missed the playoffs are devastated they missed the playoffs. So there are no guarantees and givens and, and entitlements because, because of this and because of that. It's earned. It's earned. It's earned. It's sacrificed. 
it's sticking to the it's sticking to what you believe and you believe you're good um that's how you become the last team standing and they're devastated my my guys are devastated i mean they were out here yesterday i mean they they want to win the cup for this city and for themselves but other these four teams that are left they want to do the same thing you, you know so it's 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 we're devastated my my i'm devastated my coaching staff we're disappointed i don't know what it's but we're not the only ones and and, and i think we've got a you know i th think that we've got some great players and we're supposed to those great players that we got are digging in and, and and i want you to know i'm digging in and I want you to know my coaching staff is digging in. And I want you to know every one of my players is digging in. I got Keith Gretzky digging in to, to try to, we get trying to bring our players along. And we've, and you know, we've talked about, we're, we're digging in. But, 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 it, but there's 31 organizations digging in. That's why I said, told you guys, when you win the Stanley Cup, boy, do you party. Because it's not a one-year quest. It's a lifetime quest. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can't party enough when you win that thing. It's a party machine because it's so hard to get your hands on. And I want you to know, I want our fans to know, like we're trying, my, our, my players are devastated. Like they're, they talk to me, like it's, they're devastated for themselves, they're devastated for the fans. I know the fans are devastated, but I want everyone to know, like we're not the only one, like there's 31 teams that are at different stages that are disappointments so we're going to get up off the mat here um, and we're going to get back at it in September and we're going to try to put ourselves back in the same position that we were this year in the playoffs feeling good and believing and we're going to try again. Ken, many of your uh, key guys came out here yesterday and talked about the one thing they want to improve on is is limiting the mistakes, making it harder for the opposition. They feel like, in essence, they gifted away too many goals at times. So when you hear that from your players, I'm sure that excites you because lowering goals against five-on-five five has been an issue. As a GM, where's your role in maybe helping? Do you look like, obviously, you brought in Ekholm. He's defense kind of first type of guy. Will any of your signings or trades be more focused on guys? Offense isn't an issue here. It's defense. Do you, do you kind of have the same mindset as your team, and will that be your approach? I think everybody can play defense. I think 700 players. I, I think it's a commitment. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a desire. It's a determination. And I think that that the disappointments, the the, the devastating losses, um, you know, when we lost in the first round to Edmonton in '06, and we won the cup in '08. Like I didn't get 20 different players. Those, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd leave look at the roster, but probably of those 23 guys we were on our roster in, in 06, 18, 19 of them were probably on that team in 08. You, it's, it's the same players just doing some things differently. Like I just can't go out and get a whole bunch of different that's not the way you, you know Jason that's not the way you can't go and get a whole bunch of different yeah. players it's being in these situations over and over and over and over again and understanding as a manager I gotta make a few tweaks 
and I got to make some changes. I got to make some massive changes. Or as a coach, I got to make some uh, adjustments, and I got to maybe do this. We're going to change the way we play, or a neutral zone this. And every player goes back and looks in the mirror and decides, I got to do this, or I got to do that. On a more of a bigger scale picture about the league, um, it's happened a few times with teams, and I know that the fans across the league get upset about LTIR and teams suddenly, you know, being way over come playoff time because they've had a guy who didn't play all year. Vegas would be a recent example of that. Has it been discussed? Uh, do you have any options on, you know, could there be a salary cap you know, in the playoffs? I know you don't get paid, but based on the value of a player, is there a simple one as you got to play a, you know, a game? Uh, in the regular season at some point. What's your thoughts to try to limit teams um, abusing the LTR only really for the final week? Could Mark Stone have played in a week before? I have no idea. But it does seem fitting that sometimes guys magically are healthy when the playoffs start. My My feelings today, Jason, are Vegas beat us. They were a better team. We weren't good enough. We got to be better. Uh, this, this, this team that we've got, I really believe in. I believe in the leadership. I believe in the skill. I believe in the heart. I believe in the character. Uh, LTIR is a story for me for the general manager meetings and whenever they are. Um, we weren't good enough. Not that we weren't good enough talent-wise, but those moments that you're talking about, that determine um, the season. Um, that's that's what I care about. That's what I care about right now. So at the end of the day, Vegas played by the rules. Um, they were the better team. I don't want to take anything away from what Vegas did. They beat us over 82 games, and they beat us over a best of, a best of seven games. And they played by the rules, and. Great job by Kelly McCrimmon and Cassidy and 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 their and their team. Ken, uh, you signed Jack Campbell to a five-year contract. Why was he not good this year, up to his normal standards? And did you bet wrong on Jack Campbell? Um, first off, I think that any time, not any time, uh, quite often players that signed long-term big contracts, you know, big in their biggest contract and they go elsewhere they feel um, a ton of pressure to to live up to the contract and it puts a lot of stress on them um, I know that there's other goalies in the National Hockey League this year that signed big deals a year ago and year one was a was it was a tough go and year two turned out pretty good um, I'm believing that year two is going to be pretty good. Uh, and your assessment of the job that Jay Woodcroft did as coach this year? I think he did. A, I think he did a great job. I mean, I think that. Um, I mean, I don't know from the time that he's taken over, Jim, whatever day that was in January last year, we might be top three, top four in the league in terms of winning percentage since he took over. We went to the final four last year. Um, we got beat by a real team. We got beat by a real, like, th 
Vegas is like, if you come in here and you, you guys are thinking that we're supposed to be moving on and we're, we're supposed to roll over Vegas and just on to the next thing. We get beat by a real hockey team. They've been a real hockey team for for five years. They've been a real program since since they got awarded the expansion franchise. George McPhee's put together, have they not, is it, are they not in the final four like the third time in like five years? four out of six like you don't fluke that like this is the national high you, can, you might be able to fluke a year you can't f so that's a real program that we're playing so at the end of the day what do i think the job that that jay woodcroft i think jay's done a great job uh, i think he's a great young coach um and i reflect back on my time when i was a young general manager and probably do some things a little bit differently now than i would at that point in time but that's what that's what experience, and I'm sure you as a, would might do some things a little bit differently when you were a young Jim Matheson than when you're an old Jim Matheson. So um, I, I think that's, that's, that's what experience gives you. So I think he's a great young coach. He's a great communicator, uh, has a great relationship with our, best, with our top players. Um, the players believe in the system. Um, to, you know... This year, the first half of the year, we, just, we, had, we couldn't quite get it going. You know, we, I think we were 7-3 and three the first 10, and then the next 30, it was, we sort of was around, we were around 500. And then I thought, um, second half of the year, we played at a real high level. So what do I think of Jake Woodcroft, and what do I think the job he's did? I think he's did a great job. I think he's a great young coach. Um, and we're lucky to have him. Thank you. All good? Thanks, yep, thank you. All right. There was Ken Holland. That was a long one. 34 minutes. There you go, Kenny. All right. There was a lot in there. And, you know, we talked about reflections on the roster. And, and I thought that, that there was a good point made. And, and Connor McDavid had kind of said the exact same thing. As we do, we are awaiting Jay Woodcroft, who's going to appear uh, and he will speak next. Connor McDavid said yesterday when asked about the team, he says we are better. So there is this, there is always this notion in sports that if you don't advance past a certain point, like, so for example, the Oilers lost in the conference final last year to Colorado, who ends up winning the Stanley cup. They lose in the second round this year to Vegas. And the perception is, well, you're worse than you were last year because you didn't get past a certain point. Connor McDavid said it. Ken Holland said it. I agree with the sentiment. The Oilers are a better team than they were last year. We've seen the emergence of Evan Bouchard. We've seen Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl get to that next level. We've seen what the team looks like with Matthias Ekholm. We've also seen, even though a lot may not agree with it, a little bit more consistency at the goaltending position, whether it be with Jack Campbell, who had a rough season, and, and we'll get to that as Kenny Holland talked about it. We also saw a little bit more stability with Stuart Skinner. Albeit, yes, there were moments where people were looking like, oh boy, here we go again. But generally speaking, a little bit better. Stuart Skinner is up for the Calder Trophy and there's a very good chance that he wins it. I think it's between him and Matty Beneers at this point. There's a lot to be said about that because the initial reaction is, well, you didn't get as far, which means you're not as good. I don't think that that's the case. The other, that, the other thing that, that Holland talked about was his own future with the Oilers and that 
He has a year left on his deal. He will honor the contract. He will be back as the GM. And he did hint that probably not in this for the long haul. So having those, as, as he put it, and as Jeff likes to put it on this show, green bananas, he's not really interested in those. That to me says exactly what we all thought that Ken Holland would say and that this team is ready to win now which is why he dealt first-round picks for Matias Ekholm. It's why they are in a window to win at this moment. Are there changes that have to be made? Sure. He talked about the tweaking that is needed for this roster. He talked about, you know, having restricted free agents, Ryan McLeod, having Clem Costin as a restricted free agent. There's going to be decisions that have to be made on this roster. I also wanted to talk about when he mentioned Jack Campbell and that when goalies in the past, in in a lot of cases, as he mentioned, have signed that big ticket, the first year hasn't been so great. And the first guy that I thought of, and not that Jack Campbell, I believe, is going to have a season like this guy did this year, because he's probably going to win the Vesna Trophy, but Linus Olmark's first year in Boston was not as not nearly as good as it was this year. Jeremy Swayman was the better goaltender. All right, we got Jay Woodcroft up at the podium here. Your players talked a lot about how the one thing they feel, they want to make it harder on the opposition. They don't want to gift them goals. So I'm assuming that's some music to your ears as a coach. How do you help build a plan? You know, Because Ken Holland thinks anybody can play defense. It's just about commitment. So how do you help them have more of a consistent commitment in that one area? Well, you asked a couple different things there. You asked about, um, you know, not gifting and then a consistent uh, commitment. Commitment to not gifting. Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think that's important to point out. I mean, um, you know, there were moments for us in games where we certainly can be better. It could be a 90-second span here. It could be um, shift after a goal here. Th- those type of things. I think. Uh, how do you build the plan? I think you carefully review everything that's happened. Um, you spend a summer um, really looking at uh, new ways of doing things uh, that are appropriate for personnel that you have. And then you implement that over an 82-game schedule so that in the playoffs, um, those habits that you've built over that schedule show up under pressure. You've been in organizations, Detroit and San Jose, where you had high expectations like this group, and some years it didn't happen. What did you learn from that? And do you sense that even though your team technically went farther last year, that the disappointment, it seems more this year. So how do you... How do you use that as a positive as a coach? Yeah, I've been fortunate to be, you know, in my 18 years uh, with three different organizations to be around some really good players and some really good teams, some um, that or one that reached its ultimate goal, but a lot of teams that knocked on the door. And, um, you know, I think in situations like um, us falling short this year, and that is what we did. We fell short of what our expectation internally was. Um, That's never uh, something fun to go through. Um, you know, I think Ken used the word devastated. I would echo that. Um, you know, I think you, know, you, you go through stages. The first one is feeling that way. Um, the next one is learning how to repurpose that disappointment. 
Um, and the way you do that is by learning some lessons and you use that experience to serve as your motivational fuel. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, I mean, it, you know, when you're in a workout and it's the middle of June, um, that helps push you forward. Um, when um, maybe your family or friend group is pulling you in a certain direction, um, you have this experience or this pit in your stomach uh, to help serve as motivational fuel for um, the things that need to happen in order uh, to set ourselves up to have a really good training camp, which is the first step. Those are, are all part of the process of learning um, lessons along the way, of gaining experiences, sometimes painful ones. Uh, but in the end, you hope the payoff is, is that if you continue to knock on the door, you continue to knock on the door um, and you learn some of those hard lessons, um, that one day that door opens. And I've been fortunate to be around one team where that has happened. How would you assess your own performance in your first full year, the grind to get through it all in a regular season, and then uh, your performance that you thought you did in the playoffs? Well, the first thing I would say is that I'm in it with our players. Our coaching staff is in it with our players. We're um, utterly disappointed that we're not preparing for round three today utterly disappointed. Um, if you're going to talk about our year kind of big picture wise, it was an interesting year. I thought there were some uh, challenges that our group overcame. Um, I saw a group uh, weather the adversity of having at one point four or five top nine forwards out of the lineup and figuring out ways to compete on a nightly basis given the grinds of an NHL schedule. I saw our team take a real step in the month of January, which has traditionally been a tough month for our organization and our team. I saw a team that really take off post-Christmas. Um, and then uh, the way uh, you know we took a step post-trade deadline and then to finish the regular season 14-0-1 and challenge um, the Vegas Golden Knights for the first spot in the Western Conference, I saw a lot of positives. I saw a lot of positive narratives and storylines for our team. Um, you know, including the emergence of certain individual players. Um, you know, I saw our team post back-to-back 50-win -back seasons since the mid-80s. mid, mid -80s. Uh, Those are all positive things, but uh, I can tell you that the coaching staff, the head coach, myself, and our assistants are in it with our players, and we share that same disappointment. We share that same pit in our stomach, and uh, we will leave no stone unturned in trying to help make our team better over the summertime. What did you learn about yourself and what can you bring from this experience to move forward? Yeah, well, I think anytime uh, you continue to play hockey or coach hockey in the month of May, um, you're learning lessons along the way. And, uh, you know, last year I think we played until mid 
or beginning of June anyways, and this year it's the middle of May, um, there's some good, and there are some things that, um, you know, we're going to use. We're just like our players. Uh, what did I learn about myself? Um, you know, I learned how much of an appreciation I have for being the head coach of this team, this organization, how much respect I have for our players. Uh, but I can tell you that when we said goodbye to the group at large yesterday, you know, that was uh, the end of 236 days together, working together, um, grinding together. Um, and we all, to a man, felt that it was too early. Jay, just over here, I, I know you weren't, here for the first half of, of last season, but, but Zach Hyman was out here yesterday just saying that, you know, we, we can't basically paraphrase that, you know, we can't leave everything to the second half. And you guys had yep. a very good second half last year with you, very good second half this year. But in, in saying that, obviously you finished second in the, in the conference and two points out of first. So where are you on kind of getting out of the gate uh, maybe a little bit better or does it matter, I guess, in the yeah, way that you guys finish so strong? I, I think it's important to get out of the gate uh, well, I would say that our team was seven and three in the first ten games, and then, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances with uh, Vander Kane getting stepped on and having that horrific injury. And then, I would also say that, um, you know, with with Yamamoto going down, McLeod, Fogel, those guys uh, get hurt. You don't plan for that. I thought we did what we had to do to continue to gain points and survive that adversity, and that set us sel sel ourselves up uh, as we move down the stretch. But I think the game plan is always to get out of the gate as well as you can. In the end, uh, I think we had 109 points, and one team finished ahead of us in the Western Conference. And if you were going to go by regular season uh, regulation wins, we were second only to the Boston Bruins. So there was some good there. Can we be better in the regular season? We can be. Um, and part of that is making sure that um, your start isn't just seven and three out of the gate it's over a longer period of time and i just wonder if you'd be able to share your message to a couple players that um you know maybe the roles kind of diminished as the season went on and that's jack campbell and dylan holloway what would your message be to those players in terms of you know going forward and for next season no i didn't see dylan holloway's role diminish i saw him get sent to bakersfield and then get hurt in his first game in bakersfield um and for jack campbell i you know i think jack um jack's Cam jack campbell came into this uh season um you know as a free agent signing uh, maybe didn't go his personal way uh out of the gate i thought we stuck by him um, you know and I thought the emergence of Stuart Skinner kind of alleviated some of the um, you know not the issues but um, Jack's uh, start uh, so uh, on the one hand you had uh, Jack who maybe didn't play as well as he wanted to out of the gate and then Stuart Skinner emerged as a, um, a real positive story uh, I thought Jack had moments in the season where, um, you know, he really stepped up. I thought uh, specifically um, in January, um, Stuart uh, ended up, him and his wife uh, had a child, and that opened the door for Jack to kind of make an impact on our team. 
Um, he, I think he had 1.19 games in a row for us. Um, you know, and I think there's there are positive points to Jack's year, and the biggest positive is um, the way he conducted himself. Um, the way he found a way to win games and contribute to a team that won 50 of them. Um, you know, I think him working through that, that little bit of adversity sets him, him up for a real big summer and will serve as his motivational, his personal motivational fuel uh, heading into next year. Um. Several of your players talked yesterday, McDavid and Drysaddle together. I wonder if you saw their availability and you know no, Connor. No, I didn't. See no, maybe you can enlighten me. Connor just expressed, you know, that what what's been built here in his time, he takes a lot of pride in, and the value of them trying to win this together as a group. He said that's that's what it's about. Yeah. But what do you sort of sense from the guys that have been here? through that timeline how hard this was for them but maybe how galvanizing it can be moving forward yeah i i agree with connor and and i agree with your question and i think that is the message that that most of our players would carry forward it was the message that our our leader ken holland walked into the room with um you know and shared some of his personal experiences uh, having won four stanley cups himself and how some of the disappointments along the way served as um learning experiences to set the the group up going forward um i think everybody here is uh, disappointed that we're not playing um, but it has to go farther than just being disappointed. It has to go to learning some valuable lessons along the way. Um, the National Hockey League uh, is an unbelievable test on a night-in, night-out basis. The tournament to win the Stanley Cup trophy uh, is a two-month uh, grind where certain things have to show up uh, over a two-month period and in your quest to vanquish four worthy opponents. So I think, you know, along the way, some of the scars or some of the disappointments end up um, serving you well if you continue to knock on the door. Uh, you have to put yourself in position to knock on the door and and uh, you want to make sure that um, those lessons aren't lost on you. You cannot be deaf to the lessons. And I think um, if I was to speak to our leadership group or the people that have been here for a long time, the one thing I know about them is that they're proud, um, they're conscientious, and uh, they're hungry to win. Jay, you beat Vegas three out of four in the regular season, so why yep. figure in hindsight that they beat you four out of six in the playoff round? Is there something that they did that either surprised you or, or did your team just fall down in certain areas? Yeah, if I look at that regular season, we were 3-0-1, Jim, against them. Um, one of our wins was in uh, overtime, uh, and that was the one that was in overtime, I think, was kind of late November-ish. Um, that was the only game Mark Stone played in for their team. Um, you know, I think uh, the teams, teams grow and change and evolve over the year. Um, 
you know, I think in our, you know, down in that game in November, we let in three goals, I think. Um, I think we went in in January and, and maybe let in three goals. Um, we lost one at home here in overtime. I think we let in four that game. And then uh, I think the last one in Vegas, I think we won 7-4. And it was kind of, we got up on the Murley. Um, you know, their uh, their team changed over time. Our team changed over time. Um, I thought there were moments in the series uh, that specifically we can be better in uh individual moments uh uh sequences in a game where we can be better um you know part of the coaching staff's job is to go through that series with a fine-tooth comb and do our work uh to ensure that that doesn't happen again the one thing I would say is that we lost to a team who finished higher than us in the standings. That's an 111-point team. That's a program over there that I think has, has gone pretty deep for the last uh, six years or so. Um, they're a worthy opponent. They did a lot of good things. I think for us, um, our our um, disappointment lay in some of the moments that we feel we can handle better. Okay, uh, if you want to continue listening to that or watching it, as probably better described, uh, visit sportsnet.ca as it is on there live. Uh, we got to wrap things up here, but I just wanted to touch on a couple of things. Listen, the Edmonton Oilers believe that they're really close, as they should. And, you know, Jay Woodcroft talked about being beaten by a worthy opponent. That w- That seems to be the sentiment here, is they believe that they're close, but not quite as good as the Vegas Golden Knights who are in the conference final again. Much like there's going to be change in a bunch of places, I do believe that there only has to be minor tweaks in Edmonton. Ken Holland talked about how he he anticipates that Jack Campbell will be much improved a year after signing that extension or that deal, that free agent deal. Very, very interesting times in Edmonton. As are interesting times... In Arizona, as we await word from the NHL as to what the plan is going forward. A big thank you to my guests, A Block Elliott, Elliot Friedman, as he joins the program every single day, or at least most days. And a big thank you to Craig Morgan, who was up all night last night dealing with the Tempe City vote as Arizona looks like they may be on their way out. The Coyotes may not be long for the state of Arizona. Jeff Merrick will be back tomorrow in the host chair. We'll have all sorts of reaction to what happened today, Jeff's trip to Carolina, and of course, the conference finals kick off tomorrow. Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers, and we will get you set for all that action. For Lance Kennedy behind the glass, for Jen Rolnick, I'm Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick. You've been listening to The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.